welcome all of you lovely listeners back to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live, Toaster360. He's Steve, Xbox Live, Steve Mitch. And we take a moment to be thankful. In episode 97 today, November 24th, 2018, we have no gaming or movie news this week. We're going to focus on our topic of the day, which is the success, fall, and revival of Japanese developers, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamp located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, just keep listening. What are you thankful for? This Thanksgiving, Steve. I'm not thankful for anything, Russ. Well, you know, I uh, I'm not thankful for anything well, this year. I'm not. I'm unthankful. You're unthankful. <laughs> Are you lobbying to get rid of Thanksgiving altogether? Nah, nah. Uh, you know, I, I come back to the same things that I've been thankful for, uh, but it it comes back every single year. I think after Thanksgiving, you start to forget about what you're thankful for. And then when Thanksgiving comes around again, man, I'm thankful that you know I got food, clothes on my back, yeah, shelter, job. <laughs> <laughs> I always like the holiday name Thanksgiving. Like if you separate those two words, you have thanks and giving. And um, I have now just realized. I haven't really done that much giving on the holiday of Thanksgiving, so I'm going to you have to... I, I, need, I need to remedy that. We've all been keeping it secret from you for the last 15 <laughs> years, but uh, it's get, it's, it's adding up. <laughs> Selfish bastard. <laughs> you know, another year, Russ is not giving a crap about anything. <laughs> hey, he just sits there and porks out at the dinner table and then just goes, takes a nap. <laughs> See you guys. Show yourselves out. Bye. Wake me up when the pumpkin pie is served. We make sure there's whipped cream too. Why don't we have gravy? <laughs> I can tell you didn't stuff this turkey. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's really cool to be able to take just the time out of the year to be able to really look around and be thankful for um, just a, an awful lot. I, th- I think we, you and I both have a lot to be thankful for. We do, Ross. Mm. I mean, I think people living in America alone America. Have, uh, <laughs> have stuff, have plenty to be thankful for altogether. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, I think that, um, you know, the whole quote-unquote first world problems kind of thing, <laughs> I think that people tend to get a little bit on the the uh, complaining side of things and um I don't know I, I think it's important to, to take a look at just everything that you do have and and um I know for for me I, I definitely have a lot to just uh really raise a glass to and, and say thank you to and everything else and I don't know I think I'm I'm, I'm going to be making more of an effort to volunteer some more of my time during the Thanksgiving holiday, yeah. like maybe the, uh, the time you don't have, Russ. Yeah, that's <laughs> there's a pleasant thought, a pleasant fiction, Russ. Well, you know there there are certain types of volunteer organizations that that make it a point to uh, you know like they'll, they'll have like the soup kitchen stuff that will they'll do you know some extra hands and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that that uh, <clears throat> especially given the fact of uh, how 
I'm 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 not getting any younger, Steve, and I feel as though I'm I'm finally in a position where I can uh, give back with a happy heart, and I'm going to drag you along with me. Don't think you can get out of Steve, right? Um, you know what? I remember one year we ran. We I think we had no electricity for. Two weeks, I think. I, I, some we had a storm. Two weeks. <laughs> we had a storm. <laughs> we had a storm, or or some. There was a, like a car accident to a telephone pole or a power line. I don't know what it was. We didn't have any power for two weeks. And that was it. Really, two weeks? It, I don't know. It, I don't recall if it was exactly two weeks, but it was a long time. It wasn't like well, you know, it was out for a day. What are we gonna do? And sort of thing. It was a while. Yeah. And after about. Four or five cold. A day without electricity is like two weeks to Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I need internet. <laughs> and so I think after the fourth or fifth cold shower, not like the cold water you just wash your hands in, but like a really cold oh, shower. Oh, I remember that. Uh, I thought, man, I just need a hot water. Like it was so cold. You're in and you're out as fast as you can. You could, I mean... <laughs> Well, it wasn't like, I think that happened like during the colder months too. It wasn't right. like it was in the, the, the middle of summertime. No. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of summertime, it would have been absolutely <laughs> fine. But that was in the wintertime and it was friggin' freezing outside. And then we go, in, you're inside, but the water in the pipes is almost frozen. And so then you're trying to bathe with it and you're like. <laughs> Test of manhood. Yeah, exactly. Try not to scream like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be able to have kids after this. I don't know. <laughs> So in the igloo does not even begin to cover it. Okay. <laughs> Steve's voice is going up quite a few decibels. What's happening down there? So, I do remember that though. I remember how like I was trying to like wash my hair as fast as possible and like soap up as what as fast as possible, just because I could tell like my tolerance of the, the absolute cold was just reaching a, a point yeah. of just no return. I mean, at the end you feel really refreshed, but you also feel like you're about to get. <laughs> So I feel like you're about to get hypothermia at the same time. Like, man, I feel clean. Man, I feel like I'm getting really sick. So I'm awake. <laughs> Forget coffee. Just step in the cold no shower kidding. in the dead of winter. And so, yeah, I, that that uh, winter season, we were thankful. We were like, oh, let's go around the table. So everyone's thankful for. Oh, I'm thankful for this, that, and the other. I'm thankful for hot water. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I mean, people way long ago not having hot water or people today you know in third world countries or whatever who might not have hot water yeah. and if it gets really cold then my goodness I mean they're probably used to it but at the same time maybe not maybe that's just a something you put up with I totally forgot about that I, I, I really did think that you were you were just mistaken in some uh, other kind of story but no now that when you were out the shower thing I remember that I mean it was at least one week yeah I don't know if it was two weeks. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. I forgot if it was two weeks also, but it was, I thought it was longer than one. And the power like, came out like, yes. Hallelujah. So anyway, I remember that because this weekend when I was doing the dishes, had a sink full of dishes and I turned on the water and the water spouting out was so cold. I was, I had to put the gloves on to actually wash the dishes till the water heated up. Weenie. Whatever. <laughs> so what are you thankful for this year, Steve? Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I think that it's just the same things that you forget about 
every year until it gets to be this time. Mm. I mean, the jobby job. Yeah. I'm thankful I'd have to have money to, to provide for my, myself. Oh. Uh, I'm thankful to be living in amongst so much family. Yeah. Even though we don't all see each other as much as we should. Except with the exception of you. I don't want to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I live eight minutes away, but it's still too close. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad to have love in my life. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Glad to be a happy uncle, you know? Mm-hmm. One day you'll be an uncle, Russ. Well, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully you're not sterile. Yeah. <laughs> We've been trying. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I have um, a lot to be thankful for as well in terms of just like what you said, like just having not only the immediate family, but also the extended family. And <clears throat> I mean, just even like the fact that, that we get the opportunity to do the Joygasm podcast. I think that that is something that I'm very thankful for. I'm thankful that you're local so that we're able mm-hmm. to be able to go on this uh, magic carpet ride mm-hmm. together. Mono y mono. Mono y mono. But yeah, I mean, just, just the, the, yeah, I, I would say overall, I mean, I, I feel as though the uh, the goblet is overflowing, as they say. And I just, I really want to take a moment just to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving as well, because, um, you know, it's, it's an American holiday, but I feel as though it doesn't have to be exclusive to America, that it can be celebrated internationally. I think that um, it's one of those universal types of uh, humankind kind of things, you know. Indeed. Get, take the time to have to be thankful and, uh, you know, give a little. You know, I one thing I, I think I need to say, too, that I'm thankful for is to have low drama in terms of family holidays and family get-togethers and whatnot. I can remember so many of my friends who would in a way, almost not look forward to the to the holidays or they'd want to be, they, they would ask to come over during our holiday. We're like, uh, we already have lots of plans. <laughs> I don't want to say no, but then they would tell me about, about, uh, sometimes these family get togethers would turn out to be really dramatic. Mm. And, um, it just makes you grateful that you don't have a lot of that, that, that drama. Yeah. Yeah. My heart goes out to, uh, the families out there that do have to deal with that. And, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about how, um, occasionally back when we were younger, we would actually invite some, um, uh, people to our house for Thanksgiving who, um, perhaps didn't have family close by or, uh, had a falling out of sorts or whatever it is. And it was just nice because, you know, it just embracing those, those people as part of your extended family was always just like this, I don't know. It's, it's it's a it's a lovely gesture, but it's it's one of those things too that I find myself thinking: Why do we only do that one day out of the year? <laughs> like the very next day, it's kind of like, okay, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave me hugs and pumpkin pie well, about, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm maxed out on my giving. Get out. <laughs> so. You know, I think we got like it would be uh, just I don't know. The reflective side of me is is just it'd be nice if we could extend this into 365 days of the year. Uh, I don't know. It's a work in progress. We'll just call it that. Work in progress. But anyway, uh, what have you been playing? What have you been watching, Steve? Let's see. Well, I watched Fallen uh, Kingdom, Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom. Okay. 
and uh, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. I I I think Chris Pratt is. I don't, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but I think he's he's getting to the point where he's too good for the series. Like the series, you can tell they're just trying to like milk it for money, yeah. you know. But he his Jurassic Park twenty three. Yeah, I, I think like his the world really is <laughs> chaos. <laughs> yeah. We put the DNA down. Um, we all know how this is going to end. <laughs> we mixed human DNA with dinosaur DNA. <laughs> Ron Dino. <laughs> uh, DNAosaurus. So, anyhow. If but, you thought the last dinosaur was advanced, check out this one. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I don't. They left the door open for another of course. sequel. I mean, why not? But Make that money. But, uh, I don't know. I guess you have to see it to kind of understand. It just seems like like his acting skills and the stuff that he's done, like other movies and he goes back to this and it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. He, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. One thing was really cool is in the special features section, he, uh, has this little vlog that he goes around. He talks like with his makeup artist or the stunt dude or the effects guys or people who drive around with, what's the thing called? It's like a, it's a, Heavy duty truck, but it has the long arm with the camera on it. Uh, I forgot what it's called. They have a term for it, but are you talking about like the crew, the behind the scenes? Yeah, well, well the behind the scenes crew, but like the specific vehicle that that's like a, a a heavy duty pickup truck, but it has this long arm that with the camera on it that it can. You capture. know, each crew I feel like has their own kind of nickname for that, but okay. I know what you're talking about. But anyway. So he goes around to the behind the scenes and he just does this vlog with all the people involved in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so cool. I'd never seen it in, in, in a uh, in a special sure. features yeah. section before. But he he took the time to do that. And I thought, you know, he's like he's the, the main star of the movie. And now he's shifting focus to all the folks behind the scenes. And they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Chris Brady, yeah, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. One camera now, okay. Yeah, it was really neat. I, I watched the, all the all the little vlogs that he did. So if you watch Pirates of the Caribbean behind the scenes, I think it was either Dead Man's Chest or the third one. I can't remember the what was it? What was it, the name of the the third film? Uh, it's not Dead Man <laughs> Tell No Tales. It was uh, Dead Man Tell World's Sales. End at World's End. Mm, I think that's that one. Right? Well, anyway, um, the actor who plays one of the pirates, he's the one who says. Hello, pulpit. You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He took it upon himself to do something very similar where he was doing a vlog thing, but on the set of Pirates of the Caribbean. I really enjoyed it. I loved watching that behind the scenes thing. Just kind of gave more of an in-depth thing. And I don't know if he was approached to do this sort of thing or if he just did it off the cuff. And then the folks at Disney were like, hey, do you mind if we use that? Because it was just a really nice, I don't know. Real uh, and. Yeah, personal. yeah. Yeah kind of a casual way of showing some stuff. It wasn't all dressed up the way typical um, featurettes are, you know, that sort of thing. Plus it gives credit where credit's due. I mean, at the end of the movie, the the credits roll, but no one pays attention to those really, Mm. you know? Um, But if you have the special feature, you can actually match a face with the name and you have a voice and that person's actually real. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was good. What else you been up to? Let's see. Well, I started watching Black Sails again. I'm trying to finish that series. I, you know, keep What season are you on? Uh, I'm on the third, I think. Going on eighth. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's funny because that the show started off really slow, but by now it's actually very compelling. Mm. Usually the first season is really compelling and then it starts to fall off after they keep on bringing out the, the, the seasons. But now it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it took a while, but I'm glad I stuck in there. So <laughs> that seems to be the general consensus with black sales. I've, I've talked to other people who kind of echo, echo the same sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Otherwise <clears throat> I'm in chapter three of red dead redemption two. As am I. Man, I tell you that game. I'm so good oh, that game. Man, that game, bro. Oh, that game. That game. And I caught my first 20-pound fish, sturgeon. Congratulations. I have no Thank idea you. what a 20-pound fish looks like yet. I've done some fishing in the game, but I have, I think the, the largest was like a five-pounder. What, like a big mouth bass? Mm -hmm. Steelhead or something? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Bass are everywhere. You can start to catch bass and, you know, yeah, okay, another one. Start throwing them back. Yeah. Um, did you meet the guy who said, oh yeah, send me fish and I can, I'll, I stuff them and I, yes. I sell them. Okay. So I met that dude and I, he said to mail him the fish. And so I've been catching fish and trying to send them to him and I can't do it. Like I go to the post office. I'm like, here, here's a fish. I, <laughs> and I, I have a fish to <laughs> mail. Yeah. They're like, it's like an envelope. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't know how to do it. And I went back and I looked it up <clears> on YouTube <throat> to see people who have done it. And they, yeah, you go in there and you open up your, your satchel, your man purse, and you pull out the fish and you send it. And I'm like, okay, uh, it's trying. Um, the NPC's like, <laughs> Looking at you like, and what? Uh, that uh, option is not available to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. No, I love the fishing in that game. I love how you use the analog stick to reel stuff back in and, and just, for some reason, like every fishing type of mechanic I've played in different types of games have always been really enjoyable, which is weird because I would think that they would just be boring right. as opposed to doing the real thing. Because yeah. you and I both love to fish in real life. But um, yeah, I'm going to be spending probably a, a significant amount of time in Red Dead Redemption 2 just, just having fun fishing because it's just nice to be able to see. And I think I got a map. I think that the same dude who you you described just now. Mm -hmm. didn't, doesn't he give you like some kind of like map of like where all the best fishing holes are or something? Yeah. And he starts telling you about all the legendary fish. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, I um, <clears throat> once when I was riding around on my horse, I stopped this small little posse from killing these people off a train. Mm -hmm. And so I shot all of them, of course. Um <laughs> <laughs> Judge, jury, executioner. And uh, so all the, the innocents ran off. And the train was just sitting there. So I thought, well, I wonder if I can drive the train or conduct the train. Well, I don't know what you do in that, in that sense. So I got in the train. I put. I made it I made it go. Really? Yeah. And I went all the way around the map. No no reward for that, by the way, Russ. No, no oh. accomplishment. So I wonder why they call it a train conductor. Why do they, they choose that word to be a part of the title? Because the only kind of conductor I can think of is when you're conducting a symphony yeah. and you're you know, waving a wand around and yeah. that's clearly not what you're doing on a train. You know, I wish they would have had a little animation of him like shoveling coal into the fire uh -huh. to make it go faster because you only make it go so fast. Yeah. And you have that big coal thing behind you, you know, I don't know. I thought that'd be kind of cool. 
But then um, I think I, I ran into the wrong person or I bounty hunters were after me because everyone started trying to board the train and shoot me and whatnot. So I was like, whatever, <laughs> I think I'm done. But I found one of the areas where the legendary fish is. Because uh-huh. I didn't go fishing. I was just like, I'm staying on the train. But another cool thing happened. Mm. By the way, I, I thought I was getting pretty far in the game. I'm only 28% done. How many chapters are there? I don't know. And I don't really care. I'm, I'm only 28%. And I, I thought I was like 50. So I'm like, great. Still a lot it's probably to do. like five or six chapters, I imagine. One of the nights I sat down at the campfire because you were telling me the other day that they were telling mm-hmm. stories and stuff. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, people start playing music and it's got good music. Wow. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Um, and like Javier started playing his guitar and then someone else started playing their harmonica at a different moment. And I thought, that is so cool. I can tell why that was entertainment back then because you got nothing going on except for the wilderness that you hear all the time, you know? Sure. Yeah. So then one time I heard the, these, the, the talking, the, the conversation going on and I went over and sat down and it was Charles. Remember the, the character Charles? Mm-hmm. And a couple other people were there too and I forgot who it was. But uh, they were, the other two characters were looking at him like, why don't you like sing or something? Why don't you tell us a story? And he's like, oh, I don't have any stories. I don't have any songs. And he just started talking about life. And it was, it was deep. Yeah. Like it was really deep. And like kudos to the voice actor for Charles because that guy is spot on. I looked him up. I forgot his name. I had it on on IMDb, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. He's been in both like movies, sitcoms and games. Sure. But um, the guy has has Charles' voice like to the T. Yeah, there have been times when I've been, I've sat down in the fire. The fire was like kind of like one of the the first things that I did in the game, just just to see what was going on. And I I mean there have been a variety of different things. I I don't remember there being any musical instruments being played, but there were people who were singing a cappella at times. There have been times when. Um, one of the characters will have a very heartfelt, like he, you can tell he's kind of drunk. He's kind of inebriated, right. but he's talking about Dutch and he's just talking about how he was a nobody before Dutch found him and just giving this very like convicted story of, of just how thankful he is that, that Dutch found him and how he, he's how he gave this dude purpose and stuff. And he gets all choked up while he's talking. I mean, it's, there's a lot of thought that has gone yeah. into his kind of the, 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 the campfire stories yeah. and the music and just, just what happens during that kind of um, period. It's neat because when you return home to your camp, you do feel like this is your family and you want to talk to them because I, I literally, every time I start the game, if you, if I start within the camp, I go around and I talk to everybody. I greet them and they <laughs> greet me back. Oh, top of the morning. And then some people are like, you know, it's not a good morning. No, don't uh, talk to me. So like, they all have their very strong, very distinct personalities. Sure. So anyway. So you, you've been binge playing RDR2. Yes, I have. Actually, last night I, oh, man. I was like, oh, I'll just play a little bit of poker. You know, I'll just play a little bit of poker. <laughs> Sat down and I was about to, I think I had like 40 cents left. And then, um, which was, it's still in 40 cents is not bad in the game. Cause I mean, you know, money was worth a lot more back then, but then I got to like $3 from 40 cents and I was like, yes, keep on going. Keep on going. A whopping $3 and 40 cents. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, uh, I think it was like two or two forty in the morning. And you start like, realizing, oh man, my this, gosh, this is a lot of inflation. Yeah. I was like, I gotta go to bed. Hmm. <sighs> I gotta watch the time, you know. 
that's the mark of a good game right there is when you yeah. realize it's 3.40 a.m. and mm-hmm. you've just been enjoying yourself. And I know exactly what you mean because when I play RDR 2, I have the same exact problem. I, th- I think that there have been a, a few games now that really excel at causing you to forget what time it is and you just get into the game and then i mean sea of thieves is just like that where like you're playing and then suddenly it's 3 a.m and you're like what happened to the time i've got to go to bed you don't even want to go to bed like you'd rather keep playing but you have to have discipline and uh force yourself to go to bed if you want to be functional at all at the the job the next day but um i had a funny story too about rdr um so like I I was on my horse just you know just on some random path somewhere and I realized that I hadn't cleaned my guns you know, you can clean your weapons right so I'm I'm just sitting on my horse and I'm and I'm just using my terry cloth or whatever it is and I'm just you know just and actually if you do that it, did you know that the attributes of your weapons will also erode like the like the more dirty and worse that your gun gets. I had no idea that that was actually part of the game, but it is. And so when you right. clean it and you have to like actually hit the button really fast in order to get them up, because there's kind of like, there's a, a timer that happens that goes around kind of the button that it shows you that you're supposed to press. And so I was doing that. And then <laughs> um, I had just finished cleaning the second gun. And there's this dude who looked like Colonel Sanders, who was like on a horse and was kind of walking by and he's just like, hey, how you doing? And so, like, I was trying to, like, greet him. Um, but instead of pressing the correct button, I pressed the wrong button. And so I ended up aiming my gun at him. But I didn't shoot him. I just yeah. aimed it. Because yeah. what happens is, like, you, normally when you greet someone, you have to hold down the left trigger and right. then hit the X button to greet. Yeah. Well, I had my gun that I wasn't aiming at, but I had my gun just kind of chilling. <laughs> and so I it just instinctively pressed the L trigger, which caused me to aim it right at him. And he goes, oh, well, I'll see how it is. Okay, give me a second. And he starts rummaging, and he pulls out his gun, and he starts shooting me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I didn't mean to do that. You know, like, and so I wasn't, I was trying to, like, avoid him and whatnot, and he kept shooting. So then I, I kind of, like, out of instinct also, like, shot him, like, a couple of times. I didn't kill him or anything. Yeah. He's like, ow, ow, he shot me. And he's still trying to shoot me. And so finally, I'm like, okay, look, I don't want to kill this guy. This is a complete misunderstanding. So I, I end up selecting my lasso, and I lasso the guy off his horse. <laughs> he's like, oh, what the, what are you doing? And, like, he was just so indignified, and I end up like I, I left him there and he got out of the rope and then he kept shooting me. So then I ended up having to lasso him a second time and then just hog tie him. And I just left him there. Good grief for the crows to peck at him. <laughs> He's like, Good where are you geez. going? Oh man. oh, man. Oh, I have another story uh, that, that you remind me of it. I felt horrible because I did kill the guy, but I, I was riding by this. Uh, I saw the, this this house, and I ran, I was I rode by, and I saw farm animals, and I went, "Huh, where is everybody around here?" And there was a rancher there that was there. He's like, "Hey, you know, this is private property. Why don't you get out of here?" And so I, I think I was off my horse, so I casually, you know, diffused yeah. the, the argument, and I tried getting back on my horse, but it wasn't good enough. And so the guy started shooting at me, and I was about to die. And so I shot back and I, you know, ended the guy. And then I felt horrible because it was like, because you're like, get off my ranch and go. I thought if it was that time and there was a bunch of people who are riding around your ranch on your private property, of course, you're going to be suspicious and start maybe trying to defend yourself and your private property, little patch of land that you have, you know, and then I killed the guy. And I'm like, great. I felt horrible. I thought, (laughs) is there a way to reload the game? I, I felt terrible. 
That's where the manual saves come in handy. Yeah, really. Uh, Even though it was just a game, it's funny because I was like, I felt terrible. Yeah, the, there is a real sense of consequence in the game, which is just, uh, it's, it's one of the many qualities of the game. I will tell you, too, that I kind of find Dutch annoying. Yeah. I, I do like other characters in the gang, but Dutch is someone who he's already rubbing me the wrong way. I don't know if that was the intention of the game designers and storytellers from Rockstar to, to, uh, to have this in there. But for, to me, it's just kind of like, yeah, dude, you know, you're, uh, I'm not digging you. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what goes on uh, as the story continues, that sort of thing. But I really do like Arthur Morgan's personality. I think his voice is fantastic. And I really dig watching John Marston, who was the character from the first right. Red Dead Redemption game, just seeing a younger version of him, right. seeing him when he's kind of in the throes of um, being in a gang, that sort of thing, because there's almost kind of an immaturity to John Marston that is not prevalent uh, or noticeable with right. Arthur Morgan. Right. Yet when when you play the first Red Dead Redemption, he's a bit older, right. he's a bit wiser, uh, so yeah, just, just little, little observations there. It's funny to play this game. This is like one of the only prequels that comes out where you're like, man, I really want to play the, the, the first Red Dead Redemption now. Yes. The, the, the first game sort of thing, you know, even though that one was an earlier game in this, in, in the series. Right. Uh, I want to go back and play that one. Matter of fact, if they brought out, oh dude, if they brought out the DLC with that game, with this graphics, I would, I would spend 60 bucks all over again. Oh yeah, totally. Easy. Easily, yeah. If there was some way where they could like somehow inject the first RDR yeah. with the game engine of RDR two, oh, hands down, they would have another. And honestly, I think that a lot of gamers out there would have the same sentiment right. as us. I think they would totally purchase it. And what makes me wonder if if they're going to continue to go backwards in the series because all these characters have depth. None of these characters are really shallow. I mean, you could start earlier with John Marston, or you could start earlier with Charles, or you could start earlier with, uh, Mor or, you know, Mr. Morgan. Mm -hmm. You could start earlier before they all got with Dutch. So they can even go further back in the story. Yeah, I'm curious to see what Rockstar ultimately decides to do. Um, but, I mean, if if the... The time between the first RDR to the second RDR is, is any indication that we could be looking at another eight to ten years before the next installment right. comes out. I mean, that's the bummer about this sort of thing, especially considering, like, you know, I'm fast approaching 40, and I'm thinking, man, like, I want to be able to experience more of these games on a quicker basis. I mean, like, if I'm only experiencing one game per decade or something like that, it's <laughs> like, dude, I'm going to be like a geriatric old man by the time, like, you know, we get to, like, RDR6 or something. But anyway, in addition to uh, Red Dead Redemption, I was also playing, uh, of course, more Soul Calibur Six. And been really enjoying that, uh, mostly on the PC, just because with the graphics bump, I mean, now I'm, I'm back to just where... I want the Soul Calibur experience to be. And then I'm curious too about is that when I um, get an Xbox One X, which of course you and I talked about, about how uh, we're both looking into possibly getting one for uh, Black Friday to try and take advantage of the, the discount. I really am curious to see how closely it matches the graphics fidelity of what you see on PC. And I believe it's probably going to be pretty close, if not the same, just because even on the game case, they kind of showcase that as a feature. It's like, oh, by the way, this is Xbox One X enhanced. 
So I do think that 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 is going to be uh, satisfying to be able to to play that on like a uh, an upgraded platform. Um, there was also a couple of weeks back. Um, there was a K-pop, which is Korean pop, right? Um, KDA was was which is a um, it's an all female pop band group was hired by Riot Games to make this um, music video of sorts, but for the game. So they took like four female characters from League of Legends, and then um, they did, they ended up using their their latest song called I think it's like Pop Slash Stars. I think that's what it's called, but. Um, it was just, it was fantastic. They actually, I did some more research on that and they had hired out uh, the same company that does a lot of the Gorillaz music videos. I don't know if you've ever seen any of yeah, those. They're all an, yeah, they're animated. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so they did a fantastic job with the music video they did for League of Legends. I mean, just the art direction is AAA. It is <laughs> awesome. And the the ideas of what they did with the different characters and the sets and everything else, um, you've got to check it out. Uh, we when I was doing the podcast recording with uh, Senor Bueno Rico a couple weeks back, uh, we were um, just seeing we we had just seen it right before we did the recording, so we were actually talking about it a fair amount. So I definitely encourage you to check that out, Steve. I th- sure I, th- thing, I think you're going to be like, uh huh, <laughs> well, impressive. <laughs> I also have been playing King of Fighters. Wow. As well as Samurai Showdown 2. Because you and I talked recently about Samurai Showdown 2 and about how cool it was and everything else. And that was not lost on me, Steve. So I ended up... um, So much is lost on you, Ross. I'm surprised that wasn't. I know. It's amazing what actually (laughs) sticks because most of everything else just kind of sloshes off. Uh, But I was looking at uh, Xbox, Xbox Game Pass and through the the catalog of games on there, they actually have King of Fighters and Samurai Showdown Two. Of course, it's not widescreen or anything. It's it's kind of like a direct port, so it's like the kind of four more by of, three, exactly four yeah. by three. Um, but what a trip down memory lane of being able to play those games and just remember how much I enjoy because both both of those games were made by SNK, right? And um, God. It's just you know obviously it looks very very dated. I mean like like it's it's nowhere near like what we what we experience today. But man, still the gameplay wise though, I mean it was, it's so cool how when you played an SNK game, there was just a certain kind of style and experience that was very exclusive to them. Artistic flair kind of deal. Yeah, they had the artistic flair and, and the way the controls moved and everything else. I mean, it was just, it was undeniably SNK, and I, I've always appreciated that. Aside from that, though, um, you know, just, just of course, uh, we had to prepare for uh, my daughter's birthday, which happened last week, and so that was uh, just a... Very uh, fun time as a parent. Of course, my wife was freaking out because she was having to uh, put all the TLC into the uh, the decorations of, of the house. My daughter, for those of you listening out there, um, she has discovered the movie Frozen. And as a result, she wanted to have a Frozen-themed uh, birthday party. And so um, kudos to my lovely wife for being able to put that together. Mm. Lots and lots of fun. Anyway, let's uh, segue over to the. Oh my goodness! It, it's what, what? What did we decide to call it, Steve? 
Well, it's going to be the this week in anniversary of games and movies. This week in... What, say it again? This week... This week of anniversary... <laughs> I, I don't even know. Friggin' A. It, the week in... <laughs> Video game movie anniversaries. Oh, jeez. Anniversary game uh, this week. Your uh, game, birthday, aging, long time. Birthday would be a good one, too, actually. <sighs> apparently, just might be, Russ. Apparently, we're still trying to figure out what the <laughs> heck we call this segment. The general consensus is this week in gaming and movie anniversaries. I was kind of getting used to you saying, oh, no, no, this is the segment. Uh, oh, what are we going to call it again, Steve? What are we calling it? What are we gonna, I'll just go ahead and go for it. <laughs> I figured it was enough weeks had, had gone by. We we're like, okay, we really need to nail this down. And I'm glad we did. So I was going to pass this one up, but I couldn't. It had such an impact with our female audience. But turning 10, Twilight. Ah, yes. <laughs> When being dead was cool. <laughs> being dead and sucking blood. Anyway, moving right along, Russ. That came out November 21st, 2008. Mm. Now, turning 25, as of November 19th, 1990, Trace, The Remains of the Day. Oh, mm. man, I haven't heard that title in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. You have heard this one, though. Also turning 25, but coming out a little bit later, as in November 24th, Mrs. Doubtfire. That was a good movie. It was sad. Like, I, I kind of actually did not like how it ended, mm. but overall, brilliant performance by Robin Williams. The late, great, never forgotten Robin mm. Williams. Indeed. Turning 30, as of November 18th, 1988, the Land Before Time. Ah, oh, yes. That was a classic cartoon right classic. there. Classic. Know what else is a classic? You. That's right. Also, Oliver and Company. Oh, my gosh. That's like one of my all-time favorite animated films. That was uh, Huey Lewis did the uh, music in that one, I believe. No. Was it not Huey that, Lewis? It was Billy Idol. He's the one who uh, did the whole Why Should I Worry song. I, sh I thought I could have sworn that was... Huey Lewis. Was Huey Lewis the one of the voices of the cats? I don't think so. I, I'd have to double check on that, but I don't think he had any involvement with that particular film. I swore he did. Huey Lewis in the News was all about the Back to the Future. Yo, I know that, but I thought he also did the voice of one of the cats. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, also on the 23rd, was Scrooged. I never saw Scrooge. Did you ever see Scrooge? I don't think I did either. Okay. Well, turning 35 <laughs> as of November 18th, 1983? I thought that was a Christmas Carol. Ah, oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a Christmas. I'm sorry. It's the Carol on the Christmas. Uh, but man, whatever. Or maybe it was the Christmas story. Man, now I'm going to have to imdib it while you do this. It's going to bother me. We're going to make a different movie. 
It's called a Christmas story with like U-H. So it's different than uh as in the letter A or the as in T-H-E. <laughs> different title every time. Oh man. Let's see. So yeah, a little bit later on, same year. Terms of Endearment. Oh yes, another classic from the 90s, was it? 1983, Rose. 1983? That's right. Oh man, I thought it was, man, and it was that old. And I haven't saw this one, but Sleepaway Camp. Never heard of it. I didn't think you did. <laughs> Thank you for throwing <laughs> that one in there. Okay, onward to games. Let's forget about the stuff yeah. that we, we don't know anything about. Go stuff to uh, that we do know about, you know? November 18th, 1993, turning 25, Cybermorph. Oh, by the way, what? it is the one with Ralphie. You'll poke your eye out, kid. Okay, there you go. That's when BB Guns had the uh, the bad omen from then on. Mm. I looked at you and said Cybermorph, and you... Cybermorph, I, that doesn't ring uh, a bell. Huh, really? Did I really? play Cybermorph? No, you didn't. <laughs> but... That was the pack-in game that came with that, with that, uh, uh, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> with the Atari Jaguar. Man, I do not remember that at all. Well, I remember the Atari Jaguar, but I don't right. remember that. Yeah, that, that, well, don't feel too bad because it's, it's rated as like the worst pack-in game that ever came with a system. Oh, so, gotcha. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, also turning, uh, actually, on the same date, but not 25, 20 is A Bug's Life. A Bug's, okay. For the PSP. Let's see. Same day, November 18th, but turning 15. <gasps> Tokyo Extreme Racer 3. I think I played that one. Yeah. I had friends in high, in high school playing that one. Hmm. Still. Oh, we hear it. we're all talking about Rockstar. Manhunt also turns 15. Manhunt. This one's for you, Mario Kart Double Dash. Ah, uh, yes. And Metal Arms, a glitch in the system. I remember that too, yeah. I do, I know you remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you were talking about that way long ago. I have a good memory. Anyway, moving on, November 20th, 1998. Half-Life. Oh, oh now that is one that is near and dear to your heart of hearts. <sighs> Deep in your cockles. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that uh, Half-Life 3. Anyway, and uh, turning 25 of uh, November 20th, 1993, Claymates. I've never heard of that <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was for the Super Nintendo. That's probably why. Hmm. November 21st. 1998, turning 20, Russ, Tomb Raider Trace, Adventures of Laura Croft. Yes. Not only that, The Legend of Zelda. Os I can't pronounce this. Ocarina of Time? Yeah. I don't know. Ocarina of Time, yeah. I, I don't know that one. <laughs> and uh, turning 15 is World Rally Championship Trace. We got some, we got some like the third sequels. In the A lot of Spanglish time. going on yeah. over here. Hey, you know, we live in it's 2018, you know, 2019, Russ. Now you got, you got to know two languages, you know, or you could blend the two together. It's like one and a half languages. 
<laughs> it's where you combine like 99% English and then you just toss in a little Spanish for like one number. No, it's more like 99.5 English and then the 0. 0.5 is the Spanish. I see. Yeah. Okay. Number 23rd, 1993. Here's one's just, this one's for you. Sonic the Hedgehog Chaos. Sonic the Hedgehog Chaos? Ah. Yeah. Come on, Russ. What, what year was that? 1993. Sonic the Hedgehog Chaos? Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog colon Chaos. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I remember wow. there was Sonic 1, Man, 2, and 3. You had Sonic and Knuckles. You had Sonic CD. Well, Russ, apparently didn't play them all. Weird. There, there's even like a Sonic spinball what back in the doing? day. Man, too many Sonic games for me to keep track of. I'm Jeez. disappointed. And last but not, well, yeah, well, last and least. <laughs> <laughs> November 24th, 1998, turning 20, Test Drive 5. Did you ever play that? I think I played it once. Yeah, and I didn't really have an effect on me. I was like, okay, yeah, uh, another driving game. You know, whatever. Well, thank you very much for that uh, segment there, Steve. It's yeah, always you a got pleasure. It, Russ. <laughs> 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 well, I see it as no other option okay. than to get into okay. our... Topic of the day! Okay! I don't know if that was you trying to imitate Tarzan or the monkeys you're swinging with. <laughs> Actually, it was the mating call that the monkeys gave to Tarzan. That's awkward. Awkward and uh, attractive. <laughs> so our topic of the day is the success, hey. fall, and revival All right. of Japanese developers. I have been very fascinated by how... This journey has progressed. How? How? <laughs> right in your face. That's right. When it comes to Steve and I, up? we have been gamers for quite a while. And we owe a great deal of gratitude toward the Japanese developers for really shaping a lot of our childhood experiences as imagination. Yes. Yeah. To imagination, to yeah. entertainment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. I, what, what I want to do is, is to um, break this up into three different chunks. Um, hence the, uh, the actual title of the topic of the day. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to setting the stage here, um, well, you know, going back to gaming in the 1980s, 1990s, you really had, I would say, just just a, a very dominant position when it when it came to the Japanese video game companies. Like just every big game that I can think of that came out came from some sort of studio from the land of the rising sun, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
it was it was very interesting to me to look at just what all we had going on back then. Like, for instance, you had the home market that was just getting, especially in the 1980s, that, that was getting established. Like, you had the, the, the U.S. company Atari, but then the Nintendo Entertainment System came out and just absolutely dominated. You also had the Sega Master System come out. Um of course, you had your TurboGrafx-16, which was a little bit of a different story altogether. But for the most part, like the, the giants were coming from Japan. And also, you had the golden age of the arcade scene, where that was where if you wanted to have kind of the premium experience when it came to gaming, that you would go badger your parents into convincing them to drive and drop you off at some sort of lo local arcade scene. And of course... Companies such as Namco and Sega, those were like the, the huge Goliaths of the arcade scene. They were always coming out with something new. And you all, you know, you had different companies like Capcom also come out with uh, some um, huge titles like Street Fighter 2, for instance. Oh, it's a staple. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that was interesting about that time period was that you didn't have cloud gaming you didn't have a lot of the, the crazy high graphics fidelity. If you actually were to, to replay one of these titles today, they're actually pretty short. However, what I think is very interesting is that, that these developers introduced and established solid gameplay mechanics um, that really have been employed and duplicated and really been used as a foundation for a lot of games that even come out to this very day. They've, they've been expanded upon, of course, but it's interesting when you think back to a lot of the, the classic games that we played, how stable and solid those games were, and just in terms of kind of the, the button mapping and um, almost the conditioning of your thumbs, so to speak, is like how you're supposed to get past a boss or you're supposed <laughs> to survive a certain level. I mean, like they, there were a lot of hardcore rules back in the day too. Like certain games you, I mean, you weren't allowed to get hit once. Otherwise you die and you'd have to restart the whole level over again, or in some cases the whole game over again. So you, so it forced you into this funnel of sorts where you had to really learn how to master the game. But then there became with that a, a, a overarching appreciation for just how these developers actually went about making these games. And that's a very big deal considering that there was no roadmap back in the day. This was something that they were on the frontier of that they were having to go through and, and really just, just, kind of find their way along, but really you had several developers be able to come up with their own system and it was something that they were able to use and reuse for sequels and, and future titles as well. One thing I got, I don't know why they ever did it this way either, but you know, when, when you're playing the arcade, you would, if you wanted to continue, you just put another coin in and you continued. And you, right. You know, to keep on dumping money in there. Coin gobblers. Till the game was done. When it came to the console systems, they only gave you like a set amount of lives mm -hmm. or you had to go get more lives somehow, you know, little one-ups. And if you ran out of lives, you were done playing the game. Yeah. I thought, I, I, I couldn't comprehend that. Like, okay, 
I own the game. Like, and I always like can't dump quarters into my home console. I shouldn't have to because I own the thing. But why? <laughs> why couldn't they just allow me to continue? What the, the level? And if I like got tired of it, or I couldn't pass it, or I had to go to bed, or I had to go to school, uh-huh. you know, then I would turn off the machine, and then I would have to start all over again. Obviously. But if you like, I remember I played a lot of like the little spaceship shooters, and they only give you a couple, like four lives or three lives. And then after you, after that, you're done. It was, yeah. You know, it took like an hour to get to level th- four and then you, you're done. You just start over at level one. Like, oh, man, uh-huh. I'm done with this game. You know, I'll turn it off. I never understood why they did that. Well, and I think too, that like just at that time period, you didn't have very much memory. And so the, the amount of, of options that were available to you in terms of, of being able to give the, the gamer kind of a helping hand were limited. But I also think too that, that that was kind of part of Japanese culture, honestly. It's like like they have been known not only in the gaming world, but in just all the different types of um, trades that they do or, or the type of work they do or whatever it is. That they they're they're they tend to be just masters of. If you're going to be a chef, you got to be just like just this excellent chef that knows what they're doing. If you're going to know how to make katana swords, for instance, like you've got to really know your craft and be able to master and do really well at it. And I think that that some of those sensibilities were integrated into the the game mechanics of the game. And that's probably the case because well, I don't think it was a bad memory because there was codes you can put in the game and get like ninety nine lives. You're True. Like, oh, there we go. Yeah. Easy enough. I could die fifty times and still beat. Yeah. <laughs> well, and back in the game, back in the game, back in the day too, games were a lot more hardcore. Like, like that's something that you and I have talked about on a number of occasions. Where games of today are nowhere near as difficult as the games back in the, the eight bit and sixteen bit days. So you, like Man. I said, those games were a lot shorter, and as a result, I think the difficulty was ratcheted up. Also, too, though, those games were very novel in their approach to things, and people had to really learn how certain games worked. I mean, that's why you had certain people that, I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, like Yu Suzuki from Sega, and Yuji Naka was also from Sega. You know, Yu Suzuki was the one who just was kind of the main game designer for AM2, uh, which w- was responsible for making all of those different Sega arcade games, whether it was uh, OutRun or Daytona USA or Virtual Fighter, Virtual Racing, Space Harrier, Afterburner. Virtual Cop. Yeah, I mean, and then you had Yuji Naka, who was um, pivotal in Sonic the Hedgehog and, and doing Nights into Dreams and... Uh, some other ones as well. You also had, of course, you, you know, M- M- Miyamoto from uh, the Nintendo camp doing all of the Zelda and, and, and Mario games. Um, just a wealth of different types of approaches as it applies to game design and game mechanics, that sort of thing. So I, you know, it's interesting. Well, I talk about how dated the graphics are by today's standards, but for their time, actually, I mean, they were really pressing um, just what was possible. And I think too, one of the many qualities of the games that came from Japan were that they were just very beautiful. If you think about like a lot of the, the art direction that went into those games um, and especially as like, as time went on and you had sequels of various titles going on, I mean, you had a lot of, um, 
imagination that was being displayed in these different titles. And, 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 um, it, it was something that, um, I think was, I don't know. It, it was a unique opportunity for the West to be able to appreciate a lot of the, the different types of styles and tastes in art and, and style that was coming from Japan that I don't know if, if it would have been embraced in a different format as quickly, but in gaming itself, like they're just, as the graphics got more mature and you got to see more like cinematics and that sort of thing, <laughs> you began to have a, a more of an appreciation for just how they would do it. Because, you know, like a game like Kingdom Hearts, for example, has um, a kind of a mix mash of sorts where you have Western characters from the obviously the, the Disney staple mixing in with different characters from more of the, um, oh, what is it? It's, it's um, what's the company Final name? Fantasy. No, no, but, but Square, right? Yeah, Square, Square, Square Enix. Yeah. So, and so there, you know, that's like just a great example of showing just, wow, there is a, a defined difference there between the, the, the way um, characters are, are designed, that sort of thing. But that's not a bad thing at all by any stretch of imagination. That's just, it's really, really cool. So looking at, um, past this, I mean, like, like, so we've established that, that, that that's where they were back in the eighties and nineties. And, Something happened along the way, and, and I, I kind of label it as kind of like the downturn of sorts when it, when it comes to the, the Japanese developers, but I, I gave it some thought as to what was going on because there was a bit of a tipping of the scales that took place where suddenly you had more of the Western developers begin to come out with these AAA titles and there, you didn't see nearly the aggressive stance that the Japanese developers had. And I mean, it's widely known that Japanese culture is known to be stubborn and not embrace changes to methodology um, and I think that that as a result kind of hurt them in the industry because they refuse to, um, evolve. And I think that that is, is prevalent when you start to play a lot of these games that were coming out kind of more in the early two thousands where they continued to rely upon a lot of the game mechanics that garnered them success in the eighties and nineties. So like final fantasy, for instance, when it was in, back in the Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3, so on and so forth, like you had more of a turn-based combat system in play, right? So like you would select what you wanted your characters to do and then the CPU would select what they want to do and it was just this turn-based combat. And that was very successful back in the day, but then as the gamers began to um, mature and have more expectations in terms of what they expect from combat from an RPG you started to look at that and realize, man, this is kind of getting dated. Like you want to have more sophisticated AI. You want to be able to just be more realistic. And so looking at games like other RPGs, such as Fable or The Witcher, for example, there was a much more um, advanced approach to how you could combat enemies in real time as opposed to having something that was turn-based. And this is just one example, but I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I have, yeah, I was going to give you my take whether you liked it or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So uh, yeah, I think basically what happened is I, I I think the 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 Japanese games were tried and true in the beginning, and I think when games came out, it was a it was a, a child's toy in mm-hmm. a way. You you had adults that played them, but by and large, they were marketing to a young. I mean, we we knew adults that loved playing Super right, Mario. Right. Yeah. I mean that you know a sixteen year old introduced us to it when we were like four or five, you know, six or seven years old around there sometime elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but he ended up abandoning it and didn't go forward with it. We did, you know, but the Japanese games kind of, um, when they were making them, they had this fantasy, uh, aspect to all the games. It's real fictional science fiction fantasy aspect. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine up until a certain point, but in, when you're, core gamer base grows up, they want to see something different instead of like this, uh, this game that rode on rails, that's fine. But the gamer wanted to have more of an open area. You know, you're not locked into a certain path. You wanted more realism to your game, not all this fantasy stuff. And so the Western taste changed and the Japanese taste stayed the same. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, I think that was part of it where this side of the ocean, we wanted just something different that, that was offered to us and they didn't over there. The other thing that I, 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 saw, I believe happened is in Japan, with the culture difference, they like their mobile stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, you know, it's a smaller island. It's not the size of the U.S. And your, your living space is smaller. Yeah. You commute a lot more and work is higher in demand of you. And so when you graduate college, your priorities change heavily and they're more interested in the mobile stuff like the Game Boy and the Game Gear and the PSP. Over here, we're not that big into it. Yeah, it sold a little bit, but not nearly as much as it did over there. Right. So over here, we liked our our console. We like, you know, the bigger screen on the TV, the home theater system. Um, We want to connect to the internet, connect to everybody else to play multiplayer open world games. Over there, that's not the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for them to adopt all these different kind of ideas and tastes because they want to do what they want to do. We want what we want. And there's kind of a clash that happens. Mm-hmm. So, and I think also with the, 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 the Western game developers knowing exactly what the Westerners want and growing up with uh, all the ideas in our, in our heads of the early Japanese games, well, we've just picked up where they have left off and the Western is feeding the Western taste. Yeah, no, that's a very good point with regards to the the mobile market. And I think too that what's interesting to, to acknowledge is that you have an entire generation of gamers that just absolutely loved all the games that that the Japanese developers were creating for Nintendo and Sega and so on and so forth. And so those people have been getting older and older. And because they're so inspired by the games, they all of a sudden decide, hey, I want to make my own game studio too because I love games. I want to be able to create some cool stuff. And and so then you have the the kind of the um, genesis of sorts um, when it comes to uh, more of the Western game studios. And so then you start to have this new type of thinking, this new line of thinking that's very Western and, and um, trying out new and different ways of, of, of creating a game, that sort of thing. And 
Um, I think at first that you had some struggles, but um, I think that ultimately they began to have more forward thinking in terms of the gameplay mechanics, the technology itself, and the storytelling. And so, I mean, storytelling from a Western game is distinctly different from something from um, Japan. I also think that it was right around that time, too, that Japan um, as a country got hit with a recession. And so I think that um, even though gaming didn't necessarily get hit as hard as some of the other markets or industries in Japan, I do believe that that as a result did cause kind of their, once again, their, the way that they approached creating a game to kind of stick with what works simply because their, their population was also kind of hit by things. So they're not looking to spend a ton of money on something that's like the, the bigger, better thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I think all those things kind of combined together to all of a sudden kind of impact kind of where they were coming from when, when they would, would release these games. I think Sega is probably the classic example of, of what, exactly what we're talking about because Sega always kind of was a little bit behind Nintendo in a way with the hardware. They had the software, but they were a little bit behind in the, in the hardware. They were always the first to come out with their systems. Right. And then uh, it, it seemed like the Sega system was the harder platform to develop games on. So like Which one? Was, the Sega was, like the, the Saturn. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, and anyhow, the, the marketing people behind Sega were trying to do more westernized stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese uh, uh, folks on uh, the Sega end were saying no. And I watched, I did some, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube about this, about the marketing behind Sega. Uh -huh. and, they, and there's marketing guys that were trying to develop this new system that would be more Western friendly in mm -hmm. a sense and kind of be more of an open platform. And Sega said no. And that's when like the, the PlayStation came out. Sony and that was Sony's system. And then people from Microsoft actually approached Sega and said, hey, we got an idea. What mm -hmm. do you think? We're new to this. Uh, we want to get your take. Maybe we can be partners. And then again, Sega said, no, you do your thing. We're going to do our thing. And so Microsoft went, okay, well, we'll do our own thing. then. I guess we'll kind of, you know, try this out. And I did. And the Xbox came out and was super successful. And then that's, you know, when Sega ended basically. Yeah. They, they bowed out of the hardware market. What's interesting about the Microsoft thing is that actually when the Sega Dreamcast was created, it was running Windows CE yeah. on there. So they actually did partner with right. Microsoft. Right. And I think that was um, a good kind of foot in the door for Microsoft to kind of figure out how this whole gaming industry thing works. But, but it was because Sega was a little bit stubborn and and advancing forward and evolving that they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. I think that there was, yeah, especially for that particular example, when it comes to Sega, they, I think there was a bit of a tug of war going on between um, the bosses in Japan versus the folks out here in America. And you could see it left and right. I mean, even with Sonic the Hedgehog, not to digress too far off this, this topic, but Sonic, um, the character was actually designed like, like you with a lot of American sensibilities in there. And the Japanese executives actually hated the way Sonic looked, but they understood that that type of characters would really appeal to the Western market. And of course it did and it, it took off and everything else. But um, 
So yeah, it, it, it was interesting to look at during that time period. Once again, you, you had like Epic games come forth and you had EA games come and you had um, just a lot of these, these different Western style studios kind of make their mark, so to speak, and be able to, to build up large franchises and become uh, more and more successful. So and, and, and I remember you and I were talking about it too. I would say about five years ago, we were commenting on like, man, where are all the games from Japan? Because we really do love a lot of the games that we've played over the decades. And we were just kind of surprised as to just how there really wasn't as much of a, a Japanese presence at E3 as opposed to years past. We're like, man, they just dominated. I mean, like they came out That's and it was, all there was. Yeah. It was like there was every game too was just like, man, that game is good. And that game yeah. is good. And that game, Capcom, I can't believe it. Konami, Namco. Yeah. Se- yeah. They were just firing on all cylinders and they just had this amazing pedigree of games that they were, they, I mean, it was like, my gosh, like they just, do they sleep or not? Like, right. it's like they had so many titles and then it just, it really trickled down to just maybe a, a handful of titles that would come out and you're kind of like, okay. And, um, even those like certain titles would still look really great. You still, they were wrestling with the, the whole gameplay mechanic situation and also the, just some of the, the graphics engines, that sort of thing. So what's interesting is that now we're in this phase that, that, um, is kind of a, it's almost like like a rising phoenix of sorts where I really do get the feeling that there is a, a revival with the Japanese developers going on. Um, just in the last two years, we've seen substantial changes to how Japanese businesses operate. And they seem to be a lot more open to including kind of Western sensibilities. It's still very much like, like Japanese lore. Um, a lot of the characters and how they, how they're um, created is very much uh, more of that um, Japanese style, which is great. Like I don't want them to forfeit that. that. That's part of what makes it so special. But, you know, it's interesting to, to look at, you know, I, I wrote down some of the, the games that are specifically from Japanese studios that have come out over just the last year or two. And I mean, you have persona five, you have near automata, Neo from Tecmo, uh, you have resident evil seven and, and resident evil two, uh, the, the remake that's coming out, I think early next year, that just looks really great. And I think too, that Japanese developers are embracing, um, some of the U.S. developer game engines. I mean, we know for a fact, for instance, Namco has fully embraced um, Epic Games' Unreal Engine, and they've they've used it for both Tekken 7 as well as um, Soul Calibur 6. And I don't know. I think that, that those are very good moves for these companies to do, just, just you know, in terms of evolving, in terms of... of um, not only like being in survive mode, but also just go back to flourishing. You know, I, I want these, you and I have, have talked about this in the past too, multiple times about how like, we don't want to see these companies go away. We want them to do well. We want them to be able to continue providing us with these like excellent gaming experiences. I think we need to go backwards a minute. Cause we said, um, the, how stubborn the, the, the Japanese companies were. And I don't want there to be a negative connotation with stubborn. I, I'd rather say um, hesitant to take risks. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I, I think they're, he- they were, they're very hesitant to take risks because they were very comfortable with what works and what was working for them. Mm-hmm. versus Which is know, weird though, because like when those games were first, like for instance, when Resident Evil was first created, 
no one had ever seen a game right. like that before. Yeah. So that was, in fact, a risk. Right. But that was on, like, for example, that was on the Sony system. Yeah, that was on the PlayStation. Yeah. So, but regardless of which system that you're on, you know, if you if you look at, like, Final Fantasy, or you look at Resident Evil, or you look at Mega Man, or you look at Super Mario, or whatever it is, like, you, you can take any one of these types of games, and when you take the very first one, that was the moment where all of a sudden this idea formed in a, a person's head and they decided to move forward with it. And that is a risk when you consider the fact that that particular approach was unproven. No one knew if people yeah. were going to enjoy themselves playing this particular game. But because you had these super talented game designers out there in Japan who were coming out with all these different games, suddenly it's like they were met with all kinds of accolades and success. But I think the problem was they kind of decided to stick with what works. Exactly. And, and, and that's where, you know, you don't have to take any more risk because you're like, okay, well, we can just continue this story or we can make up another story, but just employ the exact same type of um, game engine or, or, or gameplay mechanics, whatever you want to call it. And I think that that started to act as a disservice to just as the next gen um, iterations were coming out and that sort of thing, you needed to have all, almost like kind of a um, a conscious understanding of just how you needed to make your game evolve. Like definitely hold on to certain fundamentals because right. those things will never change just despite like, you know, how flashy the game looks, that sort of thing. But you definitely need to like, for instance, with resident evil, um, you know, they, they needed to move away from like the locked camera angles in the game because for the time it was like, okay, this is really cool. However, we're getting to systems now that can easily handle environments and stuff. And that's what makes me so excited about resident evil Two, the remake coming out is it looks like now they are taking once again kind of the the soul of, of Resident Evil 2 from the first game, having the characters and everything else, but then completely revisiting it in a way that takes advantage of next gen's capabilities. And that's a very exciting time for us yeah. to be able to get into that. And the thing is too, Resident Evil is actually a good example because if you look at the entire series, I mean, Resident Evil 1 was was mind-blowing. Resident Evil 2 was was very, very good, but they started to go downhill after that. Resident Evil 6 was almost a train wreck. I mean, they just threw everything at the fan saying, well, hopefully something sticks with this one. I mean, it's an action, martial arts, uh, survival horror. Uh, what is it going to be? <laughs> you know, and that's why Resident Evil, when I finally, when, when they, they just changed the entire formula with Resident Evil 7. Yeah. And it was scary again. <laughs> I mean, even Metal Gear Solid went through a bit of a phase, you know, where like when, when it first came out, people had never played a game like it. I mean, Metal, right. the first Metal Gear Solid is one of my all-time favorite games. Yeah. And I'm all the way up to uh, Metal Gear Solid Revengeance, where it's just like, this is not really Metal Gear Solid at all. Still fun. And it, and I guess, you know, to for all intents and purposes, it was more of an action game than more, you know, stealth and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But it was still fun. It was different. They tried something different. Yeah. But it wasn't Metal Gear Solid. And of course, like, what is it? Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain? Yeah. Um, that was the first time where like, wow, like, like they really, you know, they, they, they kept once again, the fundamentals of what makes Metal Gear Solid so unique and special, but they really, I mean, created this open world that Solid Snake could, could 
just traverse and yeah. then as well as adding uh, quite a few different types of abilities to the character in such a way that once again like just it felt more next gen yeah. and, and that's a, a very very good thing but even if you take like for example uh ace combat first time i played ace combat on the playstation I was like wow this is nuts and right. then you know, and and the former like stayed the same and what and it got better graphically for ace combat 2 ace combat 3 now i think we're coming out with ace combat 6 or 7 and it's still the same ace combat i mean they, they it's you're doing the exact same thing the story i can't even tell the difference in the story from the first ace combat it's just it's the same exact thing i think one year it was probably i think it was about four years ago they had more of an in-your-face style throughout, and you're flying through the cities, and you had more like shrapnel and, and parts and stuff flying at the camera, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I think people thought mm, this is not Ace Combat. I don't know if I'm ready for it, or I don't, I don't know if they were, it was too much too soon or something. But then they went back exactly to the, the same formula they were using before, and the graphics are getting better, but it's literally still the same game. Yeah. I mean, Devil May Cry is another one that like you were a big fan of. Um, when it hit the scene, it was like, wow, like no one had really experienced like this kind of thing before. And and, um, and then after a while, it, you seemed to kind of get bored with the the sequels that were coming out. Like you you liked the first two or three or something like that. And then you it just kind of waned, um, which makes me curious what you're going to think of this new one that they're coming out with. Because you're, you're a DMC fan from uh, the OG days. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, overall, would you say that that you're starting to notice um, a bit more of a comeback from the Japanese studios? I'm I'm starting to notice it. Um, it it's a slow progress, though. I mean, and I was going to mention also as we're segueing here um, with the Final Fantasy, because I mean, we're on Final Fantasy what 15 now, uh -huh. and the one everybody remembers most is Final Fantasy VII. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of Final Fantasies that have been out that have been forgettable, basically. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the harsh truth. So something definitely needs to change with the Final Fantasy. and that's the, But again, and hopefully they will for Final Fantasy 16, uh, the latest final. <laughs> um, you, but, know how, you know the story behind that name, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. But... Uh, so, but yeah, so we're, we're having, we're, we're seeing some changes, you know, maybe hopefully with the Final Fantasy. Uh, Namco the other day, we were, we had a, two or three episodes ago, four episodes ago, we were talking about how this might be the last Soul Calibur. And we right. thought, okay, well, here's a bunch of ideas. Like, don't make Soul Calibur go away. Right. This is a great fighting game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if they implemented these different ideas, but keep the, keep the characters the same, the music the same, the fighting style the same, there's elements you can bring over. But introduce more along with it. I mean, we've had Soul Calibur between a lot of different systems, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to necessarily go away. It, you just can't be bringing out the same game and put some better graphics on it, and that's it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, if we walk away from Japan for a second, we just say Call of Duty. Call of Duty is almost, in a sense, in the same recipe. They're in the same boat. Like every Call of Duty that comes out, it was almost Very the same true. exact Call of Duty. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because. I'm starting to notice that the, the Western studios, not a lot, but just I'm starting to see the beginnings of what um, the Japanese studios kind of went through during the early 2000s. And Call of Duty is a great example where, you know, obviously the, the series is pretty long in the tooth. I mean, when you look at just how many Call of Duties have come out, I don't even know how many there are now. Um, 
But I am noticing that there is kind of this identity crisis of sorts that are go- that's going on where like they've they've literally made so many call of duties and really the the underlying game engine has been to my knowledge largely unchanged like like they they still use a lot of the the same kind of things which i mean obvi- to be fair that's part of the secret sauce um that makes call of duty unique but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, wh- what else are they going to do to continue to expand upon this world, make this um, kind of a refreshed experience? So, it's yeah, it's interesting to see. I don't really see other Western studios struggling as much. I think that, that there's still this... Um, rapid ingenuity that's going on in terms of iter- you know concept design iteration and that sort of thing uh, as it applies to different style, different genres of games. But I'm, I would say I'm encouraged by what, I, by the trends I'm seeing with the Japanese studios. I think that's one of the biggest things for me is that I'm happy to see companies like Tecmo still making games, Namco still making games, Sega, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they're no longer in the platform business. They seem to still be struggling quite a bit in terms of just trying to find their footing, especially when you consider like what they used to come out with. I mean, they, they were just innovating like no one's business back in the hit in their heyday. But, um, yeah, I mean, you just, um, platinum games is a, a studio that, they haven't been around as long as some of these, these other companies, but I feel as though they're kind of a, like a fresh shot in the arm in terms of, of the type type of games that they've come out with. And I think that they have acted as almost like kind of a, an inspiration to other Japanese studios. Also Hideo Kojima, you know, he was with Konami for a very long time. He has his own studio. Now he's going to be coming out with death stranding, um, we, the, the jury's out in terms of whether or not the game is fun, but in terms of the risks <laughs> that he's taking, um, you know, very forward thinking. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm not as concerned about kind of the future of Japanese studios as I was maybe say 10 years ago. You know, you might be concerned with Nintendo because if you think about all the games that are coming out and being purchased. Po- Purchased on this side <laughs> of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> I, that it was sounds like, like it's a combination <laughs> of poaching and purchasing. It was actually a combination of bought and purchase. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Two words were coming out of my mouth at the same time. I don't know how to. That part of <laughs> Steve's brain just went kaput. I went out. I only have one tongue. So, um, <laughs> anyhow, if you look at like this last E3. Okay, so we have, like, we're going to have Red Dead Redemption 2 coming out. We have Death Stranding coming out. We have next Gears of War coming out. We're all these you know, hyper-realistic uh, looking mm-hmm. games. And then when we go to Nintendo side, their main thing is Smash Brothers, where it has a bunch of the, okay, we're going to have Mega Man in there. And we have Mario in there. And, and, okay, great, all the classics of the then time. But here's where Sony and, and Microsoft are going. Where are you going, Nintendo? But that's going to be beyond Smash Brothers and Zelda. Well, and see, Nintendo just—they've—they've—they've—they've carved a niche out for themselves so well in terms of their branding. I mean, they're—they're known as the family entertainment system, and that company is not hurting by any stretch. I mean, when it comes to money, 
that company prints money. It's amazing, like just how successful the majority of their systems are. The switch is also just a runaway success. And I mean, even, even uh, thinking of uh, Zelda breath of the wild, for instance, I mean, that got game of the year. That's, that's a, that's a, a Japanese studio right there terrific game. I mean, like just in terms of its execution, I haven't even beaten it, but from what I've played, I'm like, man, this is a good game, you know, and it gets me excited as a gamer to be able to enjoy more and more of these games from the Japanese studios. Cause, cause I mean, both of us are just huge fans of all the different types of games we've played that have come from these studios. And it makes me excited just, just to see what they're going to come up with next, just simply because I dig. I mean, you know how many art books I have, art of this game, art of that game, that sort of thing. It is amazing how talented these artists and designers are in Japan that they are able to create these unique worlds that you just don't see from Western developers. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about it is that really... And even from um, different studios in Europe, whether it's it's in Spain or it's in the UK or, or what have you, um, it's interesting to see kind of the um, the sensibilities and the the influences that each one of these regions have be, that as a result kind of have sway over like how the game looks or feels right. or what the story is or whatever. Um, and that, and that just, that, that's a win for everybody who's into games. I mean, it's, it's just great to have that kind of diversity in, in your, your gaming experience. But the Switch isn't necessarily swaying you. Like, you're, you still pl- spend most of your time on Xbox or PlayStation. Like, there's, they're, they're not bringing anybody new to the fan base, it seems. I mean, maybe, like, you know, younger kids and Nintendo loyalists. But they're not bringing, they're not swaying anybody new who's never had the Switch or a Nintendo system. Like you still, you're not, man, you're not about to go, Steve, man, you gotta come over here and play the Switch. Oh man, this game, da, da, da. like you're not talking about it. You're talking about, you know, Spider-Man on on, P- on PS4. You're talking about, you know, Gears of War and Halo and and Overwatch and Red Dead Redemption and, you know, Sea of Thieves, all the other games that are you're constantly spending a whole lot of time with. Zelda may be cool and you might like it and it, it got game of the year, which is awesome. But you, when was the last time you bought a switch game? Uh, I mean, I, for me, I bought a, I bought a number of switch games. Uh, I would say um, maybe a month or two ago. Uh, Cause I was, I was a little behind on, on my, my switch game buying. What's interesting is that Nintendo has carved out. And again, this is digressing off of the main point of what we're talking about, but um Nintendo has successfully carved out for itself this like, I want to call it like the other system of sorts where like in, if you talk to, to groups who um, are huge fans of, of PS4 or they're huge fans of Xbox, those two tend to kind of butt heads, right? Like, like one of them will always, you know, like I have friends who will never ever buy an Xbox because they have a PS4 and they just, they have that fierce loyalty. It's something that we've always had in the gaming industry where you have this fierce loyalty between systems. However, something that's a bit of a commonality that I have noticed is while the people who own a PS4 will never buy an Xbox and the people who have an Xbox will never buy a PS4, both sides 
do own a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is because Nintendo has been able to market itself as, hey, we are the other system. And one of the brilliant things about it is that it's a system that is, in fact, portable that you can take with you that, that you know you cannot do with a PS4 or an Xbox. And so that right there is a huge win. I mean, if you look at me, for example, the Nintendo Switch is the first Nintendo system that I have ever officially owned. And I really do love it. I've taken it with me on business trips. I've taken it with me on vacation. And it's, it is a lot of fun to play. Now, it's you're right in the sense that like that is not a system that um, I play the most. Because it definitely is not. Because I, I would say Xbox is probably the system I play the most. Um, PS4 definitely has a number of terrific titles on it that I enjoy to play. And then the Switch is just, again, because it's more of a portable system, um, yeah, it just... It's a game that I like to pick up and play, especially like if I'm laying in bed before I go to bed or something. It's fun just to have it. I, in fact, I I actually have my Switch um, just on my my um, little end table there, like just next to the bed. Um, so it's just nice, and it's not just Zelda, but you know Mario Kart is a, is just a blast to play. I also have um, Octopath Traveler, which is a lot of fun. To, <clears throat> excuse me, fun to play, and and uh, Kirby's um, Allies is an, another real fun one. I mean, like I have a number of, of titles on there that are really fun to play, and it is a nice kind of break, I, I would say, because from the games that are released on PS4 and Xbox, because those tend to be a little more mature, a little more intense, a more violent, that sort of thing. And so there, yeah, I mean, I. I, I don't I don't really um, see what what Nintendo is doing as as a uh, a mistake or or something that is marginalized at all. Now I will say that like you know the Wii U for instance was not a success, uh, but when it comes to the Switch though, I think that that was a terrific move by uh, by them overall. So, did you have any concluding thoughts about our topic of the day, Steve? Concluding thoughts. Well. Um I would say if Japan stuck with what they do best I, and continue to do that and let Western do the West stuff, let the East do the East stuff, I think they would be successful. I think like if the West started trying to make you know Japanese stories with, with an appeal towards that market, I don't think they'd be successful. And the and the exact same as if the East tried to make the games, you know, to identify for the West, I don't think it's going to be very successful, but I think if the East did what the East did and the West did it what the West did, we each played our own games. Um, but I mean, you know, we still owned each other's games. As I say, create, create yeah. games that, that you excel in, but then have them, have them be enjoyed by everyone. Correct. Yeah. I think that would be the, re the, the biggest recipe uh, for success. Couldn't have said it better myself, Steve. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm for exclusive and early access to the show, not to mention the fact that it will help us out in terms of uh, throwing us a bone here and there. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. 
We'll see you next week. Bye.